Death Wish by Kay Webster All I wanted is for my little sister Della to be safe and happy. And maybe, in brief stolen moments, I dreamed of a happy ending for myself with a brown-eyed man. That hope has turned into sharp, bright fear. There's only survival now. I'm the daughter of a controlling and cruel billionaire, so I understand about power. But I find myself fighting anyway. I find myself testing them. I have claws and I bite. I'm not going down without a fight. It's like I have a death wish. That's Death Wish by Kay Webster. Love now. Go grab it, lady listeners. Welcome back, lady listeners. Hey, lady listeners. Welcome back to another week at Read Me Romance. We have a brand new book from Georgia Kaufman called Stuck with a Date, which sounds utterly adorable. (laughs) Everything about this does. So we're super excited to have her with us this week. Thank you so much, Georgia, for bringing us a brand new book for us to make into an audio book. So I don't know why that was so dramatic, but whatever. (laughs) We're just going to go with it. Um, We're going to talk about all her good stuff and giveaways and everything else she's got new in just a little bit. But right now, we're going to catch up because it's been a whole week since we've talked. (laughs) So, you told me the other night that you finally watched a show that we talked about on the podcast, talked about forever ago. Yeah, and I so finally you told watched me, it. Because I didn't want to, because you were like, this show is everything you, it's, or it's a it documentary. Is. Yeah, it's a documentary. It's 100% Melissa King's documentary. But it's, and, and I, I, didn't, I, didn't I get your apprehension, it. though. I got it. Yeah. Because I was just like, I kind of knew the story. Mm-hmm. And then, but when you brought her up or brought this family up, I went and I followed them on social media. Mm-hmm. So she's been in my feed for like the past years. Mm-hmm. The so name- I kind of kept up with their life. But I was like scared that I was like, oh, I'm not going to get the ending because mm-hmm. the story is very much, even he says it in the documentary, you're getting a backward story. Yeah. From- rags to riches he said you're getting from riches to rags rags. (laughs) so the documentary is called queen of versailles and that's that's the name of the house right they're building versailles Mm -hmm. they're building the biggest they started this documentary because they were going to build the biggest house either in the world the biggest residential home in america okay yeah at the time i think it's still i think it still is that technically but yeah, in the, yeah, probably. But in the documentary, yeah, like it ends and there's no like real resolution. Like they're still they haven't built the house. At the end of the documentary, it, they like you said, it's you know riches to rags because they start off with all this money and all this stuff and they're building this gigantic house, and then slowly they lose everything and the house is just sat vacant by the end of it. But I had heard like he had come up with financing to get it finished. So, and then you told me the other day, right? Like, yeah, the show's coming back. Like, that's what I was like, oh, shit. I seen her mm -hmm. announce on her social media Mm -hmm. that Discovery Plus has picked it up, that they, she's starting a show or she has a show they've been filming already and it starts in a week from now. I'm so excited. So when you hear this, yeah, it should be like a week from when this plays. So I'm like, oh, shit, because he has so much money, but. He has so many bills and so much money has fallen through the cracks. Mm-hmm. And it is just interesting. This woman is fascinating. She's fascinating because he was a real estate investor. He did timeshares uh-huh. and that was how he made all his money. But when the market crashed in 2008, he, they essentially lost everything because all of his money was in property. So 
But I didn't even understand some of it because they were trying to get him to sell this building and he could mm-hmm. go back to living a somewhat manageable life or richer than it. we could ever dream. Mm-hmm. But he wouldn't do it. It so wasn't was, enough. It wasn't for enough. Him. Yeah, yeah, for him. Mm-hmm. And one of the girls, because they, they actually adopted like one of her nieces or something. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I remember seeing this people live like this. And I'd be like, if I was ever like that, I'd wake up happy every day. And she's like, it's so weird because now I live like that. But every day I wake up, I want more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh. But the wife, and I can't remember. What's her name? Do you remember her first name? I can't remember. I can't remember Kim, her Kim, is name. it? I can't remember. But she, um, she's fascinating because she went to MIT, right? Or something. Like, she is brilliant. But she acts like a dummy. She acts like just this... Like sexy she's bimbo. So happy. Yeah, she is so happy. She's up, but she's like a playmate. She looks it, like a playmate. She, she acts does. all bubbly like one. Like she puts sits up on her like husband's laps. She may, she sounds. She sort of presents herself as like this ditzy blonde, but she's a fucking genius. But he's such a dick to her. Sometimes. Yes, he is an asshole fits. to her. Oh my god, the way like she just kind of like waits on him hand and foot and like. And just takes all his shit. She seems like she is still in love with him now. Yeah. She's like, I'll be yeah. here until the day I die. Mm-hmm. Like, her name is Jackie Siegel mm-hmm. is their last name. She That's popped it. out like seven of his kids. Yep. Yep. I mean, and there was one part that blew my mind was he's had two other wives before. Mm-hmm. And one of the wives, the kid works for him. And he's mm-hmm. like, well, before I w- lived with him and stuff, he's like, my dad would just, she's like, we lived in a trailer. We were dirt, dirt poor. The only thing we ever had was when dad came over and bought us clothes. I'm like, he let, he's living like this and he let the, his previous kids live in a fucking trailer? Yes. This guy is weird. He's this not firing on all cylinders or something. Because mm-hmm. then at times in the house of the kids that are around him, he's like, this is what life's about. And I'm like, I don't understand you. No. I don't understand you. But what was so fascinating is she's always smiling. But I kind of understood her because I went on to some of the things. People are getting mad because animals are dying. When, <laughs> in their house, yeah. Yeah, because, like, the staff leaves because they can't pay some of them. And they have all these animals, like lizards. And, and she's, like, finding dead fish and lizards that were never fed. They, like, starved to death. Yeah. Which I can understand. She never knew they were there. Yeah. There were like, she there walks in the so room many. and she's like, you have this lizard? It's dead. I think it's because dead. The staff yeah. was doing it. <laughs> Yeah, because, like, the kids just get whatever they want, and then someone else deals with it. And so, like, as they're losing money, they're cutting staff, and then so she's having to, like, pick up some of the slack. And it's, yeah, I think she just becomes very aware. But also, she doesn't stop with the spending. No, like, the, it's Christmas, it's in, and she goes oh to buy all my the Christmas God. stuff, and she comes back, like, all these carts of crap, and she, like, yep. pulls some stuff. She buys two new bikes. There, I'm not joking. There are 20 bikes in the garage already yeah mm-hmm. i'm like what is happening i don't know it's just it's like, like she, ins- it's it's crazy but it's her that's fascinating because she just keeps on smiling and keeps on going mm-hmm. and, and it seems like, to always work out for her like I, that's the other thing is like oh it's just gonna work out and it fucking does I'm like, what is she manifesting? How did she do? What kind of spell did she cast? Because <laughs> I want to know what it is. She's right. It's fascinating. Right yeah. But, it, you know, it's also one of those things where it's just she lives in a very privileged, you know, bubble. 
that she's in where it's like, oh, you're broke. Hold on. Let's get somebody to finance the rest of your house for like $20 million. It's fine. We'll find somebody that does that. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just the, these connections, like these situations are just so far beyond reality, which was what was so interesting about the documentary because it wasn't done like a like a TV show would be filmed. It wasn't showing like the glitz and glamour. It was like, no, look at these people. They're fucking crazy. Yeah. But also it goes to show you like how people and I think she even said it on a documentary. It's been a while since I watched it, but it was something like, you know, she said people always underestimate me. Because yeah. they just see her with blonde hair and big boobs. She was like a Miss America or whatever. And she was like, you know, they see me like that. And that's all they, that's what they assume that I am. And she said, she was like, but that's the worst thing people can do is underestimate me. But then she's like, la, 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 la. <laughs> you know? She, you know, yeah. She probably does realize how an asshole her husband is, but she's just pulling it off on her own way. I mean, when you've got like seven kids and you're this invested, what else can you do? You know, like, you'll be tied to this person forever no matter what. You might as well stay around and get the perks. Yeah. At at that point, you know. So, it's just really interesting. I'm really curious about how they're going to do this show. I think the reason I like the documentary is because it really exposed the truth to her life. You know, it wasn't like a housewife thing where you got bits and pieces. Yeah, she went to Rochester's Institute of Technology and got a bachelor's degree. Yeah. And I remember she said on the documentary, she got like this tech job out of college and she said she walked in and this guy had a countdown clock on his desk. Yeah. And it was like counting down like years, months, weeks, days, hours, minutes, seconds. She was like, what is that? And he was like, I'm counting down to my retirement. And she was like, I immediately knew this was not for me. You so know, I she turned said, around and walked out. Yep. She walked out and it was like, what the fuck? Yeah. But Which, maybe you're right. It does like sound like she manifests things and it happens. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's odd. I don't know. But I yeah. was just, even staring at the house, I was like, okay, Melissa, let's pretend you have all the money in the world. You mm-hmm. can do whatever you want. I was like, I wouldn't want this house. It's so big. Why? Like, why? What? Like, even it was like Jennifer a, a Aniston point. and Ben Affleck are buying this house, and I was looking at it, and mm-hmm. I thought the same thing. I was like, if you could afford this house, like, it was no big thing. Wait, J-Lo. Like, J-Lo. Okay, okay, yeah. And Ben Affleck, they're buying a house. They're in escrow mm-hmm. right now. I was looking yeah. at the house. I'm like, it's beautiful. I was like, I wouldn't want this. What the fuck am I going to do with this house? Yeah. Like, even if I was... God's rich. I'm like, what mm-hmm. am I gonna do with this? <laughs> I mean, there'd be how there'd be parts of the house that you would never see. You know, know what I mean? Like, why would you? You know, when you've got 50 bathrooms. I mean, my house isn't even that big, and I never even go in the basement. We had the whole, the whole basement was done, and I was like, I don't even go down there. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I remember even when your if your old house where the basement yes. was, you were like, I never went down there. Nope. You were like, it I was, was like, just I a playroom. The whole there was like two bedrooms and a huge mm-hmm. family room. I was like. I could cut it all off this house and be fine. I remember we were talking, because we were moving kind of at the same time. And I remember like when you moved out, you were like, we just have, we're just trashing everything down there. Because it's been down there for years and mm-hmm. nobody's gone down there. Yeah. And it's like, like, I, I, I mean, that's how her whole house is though. Even now, even the junk house, like, well, not, I don't say junk house. Even the house she lives in that she, they all kind of treat like junk where mm-hmm. there's a shit piled up everywhere. There's dog shit on the floor. Like, 
You know, nobody's really taking care of anything. I cannot imagine what their life is going to look like in that new house. In that gigantic You have to have gobs and gobs of staff. I couldn't imagine. That's why people have multiple housekeepers and shit on staff all the time. Yeah, yeah. That There's just like a wing for the staff or some shit. God almighty. Like, I just, like you said, I, I just can't imagine needing that much space. But I think it's more of like, for them, it's more of the thrill of doing it. Of just being able to say they uh-huh. have the largest residential home in America. Yeah. But I'm like, what kind of, I don't know. I, I don't even understand what kind of, like, goal that is. I just immediately is. hated the husband when he, when the other kid came on that he mm-hmm. hired. He, of course, he hired his son that was living in the trailer. Mm-hmm. And the kid told his story. I was like, okay, this guy's a piece of shit. Yeah. I mean, if that's how you're going to treat your own children. Yeah. That's fucked Sorry. up. I know, but I'm glad you finally watched it, and it's good. I'm excited to see how this new show is going to go. I think I'll definitely watch it. You know, you know they lost one of the daughters. No, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she died. Oh, OD. No way. That's so yeah. sad. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I, I, it's an interesting family for sure. Just uh just the whole thing behind it, but. There was something else I did want to mention. I have on my notes to talk about. There is um, a program that we use to format books. It's called Vellum. And if you're a self-publishing author or if you've ever considered publishing on your own, this is the program you use. It's Vellum, V-E-L-L-U-M. That is how you format your books. And it gives you, it's super easy, really user-friendly. It gives you a form to upload and all that good stuff. There is an update that they just sent out yesterday, and I found it so cool as I was reading through the update. There is a typeface, a font that they are using now, and it's called Open Dyslexia, and it's for it is a font for people with dyslexia, which I found I had never heard of. I'm dyslexic. I never heard of this before, but there is a specific font that if you are dyslexic, you can use this and it's free to download it anywhere. You can go get oh, it. Wow. If you just Google it, it's called open dyslexia font. And um, it's really neat how the letters look. They're all really like um, skinny up top and fat on the bottom. And that's how the whole font is. And so I don't know why it makes it easier for people with dyslexia to read it, but it is. And I just thought that was so cool. And so I had that on there to uh, to make sure I mention that to anybody listening. So it was just a really fun fact. That's so. awesome. All right. My question of the week for you. What are you reading? Oh, I, what did <laughs> I read? I read a couple of dirty books. Yeah. I read Hard Candy by Jessa Dean. It came out. Oh, nice. Yes. And that was just, she's open a candy store. The guy who owns the building comes in and has his dirty way with her. Oh, my and God. And then I also did um, Her Prison Pen Pal by Danny Watt. And it's kind of the same thing. She was right into this dirty prisoner. He gets out of jail. And he comes and claims her. And both of them were just loaded with lots and lots of dirty socks. That was it, huh? That's all it is. (laughs) It's funny. I made another TikTok today, and it was, I did the book Untouched. Oh, God. And I had to go back and see. Your TikTok is probably longer than the book. That a hundred percent. That's what I was. Actually, I actually went to look. What is the page count of Untouched? And on Goodreads, it says like a hundred and fifty. I was like, no, it's not. No, and it's I look, and that's because it used to be bundled with Coach. Mm. We used to be able because that was before we had like Coach and print and stuff, and so you could get it in that. 
And so, yeah, I was like, okay, so it's a quarter of that. It's like 40 pages. It's really short. It's actually on the podcast for you guys to listen to if you wanted to oh listen Oh, my God. To I forgot it's still on the podcast. I should yep. have mentioned that. Yeah. It, it's just when I talked about it today, like – the you know I do it like the interview style with the heroine and I was like okay so you've never met a man and you see one for the first time and then you jump on him and I'm like all right you can go now and the heroine's like is that it that what about the story I was like that's the story that's the whole thing <laughs> like you see him you jump on him you guys fuck the end happily ever after that's it it's <laughs> weird is- that I remember this because he like came there to like flatten it for an airport yes and he the how house you she's in she's been this? trapped inside of oh my god how did you remember this yes um, I had to go back and read the first chapter because I couldn't remember I was like what is, what is happening in this book I don't know some of our stories really stick with me <sighs> yeah I don't know mm-hmm. some of them don't some of them do that yes. one really sticks with me. actually you know what's so weird I'm had you know on facebook the memories pop up mm-hmm. yeah and one of the memories from like years and years probably like five or six years ago was like my favorite books and one of them that popped up i've re-downloaded it because i can barely remember this book no way but i bet other people are going to be screaming when i mention it and be like oh my god i remember that book it's called endless obsession by alex grayson i pulled it back up to download it because i went on to goodreads to try to jog my memory and yeah. all the reviews are like the biggest stalker known to man. He stalks the hell out. He's got cameras <laughs> in her house. All this shit. No. So, I don't remember this book at all. Me neither. I went and re-downloaded it. It's like 7,000 locations, too. Holy shit. So I'm going to reread it. I opened it up, and when I started, like, scanning through, it started flooding back to mm-hmm. me. But I'm guessing it's going to be a really good read. If six years ago, I was like, I'm guessing I was like, holy shit over this book, over the level of obsession. I remember. So yeah. I'm curious if it's going to hold up, because, you know, Authors have uh-huh. gotten more extreme with obsession over the years. Yeah, yeah. So, definitely push the envelope a little more. So I'm curious. So I'm going to try to reread that again this weekend. Other people are probably like, oh, my God, I remember that. Mm-hmm. So I'll put it in the show notes if anybody else wants to reread or read it for the That's first time idea. with me. But it was <laughs> yeah. on my favorite books list mm-hmm. five or six years ago. And everybody that I follow on Goodreads that I share books with had all started crazy, too. And it actually made me go and download another one of her books. I'm like, why haven't I read this author again? And she had like mm-hmm. a teacher one. So Ooh. I downloaded that one too. So we'll see how that goes. It's funny, you know, how I just, I'm, yeah, I'm really curious how it holds up if you still love it the way you used to. I remember when I was telling you about this man when I was reading that series and I was like, oh yeah, he steals her birth control. And like, you lost your shit. You were like, he steals her fucking birth control. Nobody's fucking with my birth control. Blah, blah, blah. And I remember, like, you were so mad that he did that in the book. And I was like, mm, I think it's kind of hot. <laughs> and now it's like, of course, there's no mention of birth control. <laughs> like, there's not even a discussion of it. Nobody's using birth now control. Now I just hate him because he banged a bunch of other chicks. <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. It's coming to Passion Flicks, though, soon. That movie or that book, uh, never This Man. I have watched a Passion Flicks of you. I haven't either. I don't have a subscription to it. I don't so, know why I've never done it, but I'm not a huge movie person either, so maybe no, that's why. It, I don't know. And, you know, <clears throat> I, I like a, a Lifetime movie every now and then. But I don't generally watch a ton of them just because I feel so it feels cheesy. It feels really cringy. And I'm afraid I just that I read it. Yeah, that's my thing. I was like, I just rather read it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It. I'd like to see one of Passion Flicks and see how it's done. 
you know, maybe I'm sure they have like a free trial or something. But maybe if it was done really well, I'd like it, you know, because yeah. I do like sexy movies on, that mm-hmm. have been on Netflix, you know. I'm probably so, not the best judge, though, because I never even watched the 50 movies and I like the books, so. No, oh, okay. Yeah, that's fair. I, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I would like to see it. I'm probably going to watch this man. If I do get a subscription, it would be to watch that one because I love that one so much. And it's been long enough since I've read the books that yeah. it probably wouldn't make me as angry that they didn't touch on every single thing, you know, yeah, where it's true. just a that's little a very bit. Good point. Yeah, I downloaded several books. I think I bought, I went on like a spree and I think I bought like eight audiobooks. <laughs> but like, well, I seen one when I was doing the new release post that I was mm-hmm. like, I think she's reading this series and the ebook isn't out for another month or so, but the audio no. came out early. Yep. All three of the audios, I think, are already out. So it's by Allie Hazelwood. I can't remember like the name. Hold on, let me the see. The Love Hypothesis, I, I think, is the first The book. Love Hypothesis is her first book. That's her very first one that I read last year. It was one of my favorite books last year. So she has um, three novellas that are coming out um, in May, in July, and August. But the audiobooks are already out now. I noticed that they were only like three hours long. Yep, they're all really short. These are short. This is something I could get into. I know, and they're all like the perfect trope. Like the one I've got now is called, it's the first one, it's called Under One Roof. And I've listened, it's like, I've listened to maybe about an hour of it. But they're like in this, she was left a house by one of her professors. And, but she, but the professor didn't own the house outright. Somebody else owns it. So she has to live with this guy in this house. And so it's a forced proximity. And the second book is like enemies to lovers. And the third book is something that I can't remember what the trope is. I think it's like they're like coworkers or something, but they are like trapped on like this ice thing. I don't know. So anyways, like, yeah, it's really cute that she wrote these three novellas. And they're releasing, in the, you know, throughout the year. But I love that all of the audios are out first. Mm-hmm. And she was like, yeah, we definitely want to, like, encourage people to listen to the audios. You can get those now if you want to listen to them. And I was like, fuck, yes, I do. You're talking <laughs> straight to me. So the first one, yeah, is Under One Roof by Allie Hazelwood. And the reason I like her writing so much is because it's very... Um, it's really casual, if that makes any sense. I kind like, I get what you're saying. It's very like yeah, like when you're reading it, it's very conversational. It's like it's not stilted at all. It's not like I went here, then we did this, and then that that happened next. You know, it's really like it's fun too. You know, there's there's funny parts without it being cheesy or corny, and it, she's just a really good writer. So I really enjoy her stuff um, so far. I also downloaded. Um, I downloaded like three other books and I DNF'd all three of them. So I won't talk about them, but (laughs) (laughs) like I got through like the first one, it's 10, it's a 10, I think it's a 12 hour audio and I've already gotten through like three hours and it's just, I I could, they still haven't met the hero. I'm like, I couldn't stand it. I'm like, we are on chapter nine and we have still not met the hero. I am out. I will get, no, I'll look at a book. If I'm at like 10% and they haven't met, I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, I, I gotta go. That's where I'm at. I'm like at 20% on this audio. And I'm seriously like, well, no, probably not 20%. It's probably more like 10. But still, yeah, I'm like, this, it's killing me. And I don't really love the book. 
Mm-hmm. But I'm like, if we still haven't met the hero, uh, this is this is bullshit. Because yeah. you're gonna, there's probably gonna be a reason they're not together. So they're not together for part of this book too. Yeah. You're taking too much time. <laughs> so, but it, it sucks because people had raved about this book forever, and I was like, I had it saved, and I was like, I, you know, I'm in a book slump. I'm just gonna download the books everybody told me to read. <laughs> I'm always like, why did I listen to people? <laughs> <laughs> But what I did was I went back and listened to From Lukov with Love by Mariana Zapata. There you go. Because <laughs> that book, I listened to it again. It is, how many hours is that book? I don't know. It's like 20 hours. It's perfection. It, I seen that book perfection. in Barnes and Noble over the weekend. And I'm like walking past it with my friend that read it too. And mm-hmm. she like walked behind me. She, she like ran her hand across it. <laughs> oh, I would. I was like, I would absolutely touch it. I would she, hold like, it against my heart. She hand across it. <laughs> uh-huh. I would like put it as against my chest it, and be like. caress <sighs> the cover as we walk by. Yes. Like, oh my God. I'm telling you, that book is absolute perfection. If you like enemies to lovers at all, it's perfect enemies to lovers because he acts like he's aggravated with her the whole time but he's aggravated with her because he loves her and he knows that she's not doing her best Mm -hmm. like he's you know he's like you're better than this you're better than your other partners he was an idiot for letting you go I've been waiting all this time to skate with you and it's just like oh like you just find out how much he loves her it's so good. And the sex is so fucking hot. But it's only one sex scene. It's at the very end. But it is so dirty that I like, I rewound it and listened to it like two or three times. Because it was so good. They actually have sex standing up. But they're athletes, so that's what you do, I guess. I don't know. They're figure skaters. <laughs> but I listened to it, and it was, it was fantastic. So I felt like a nice comfort read. And then from then, I went to the Alley Hazelwood. So I was like, okay, maybe I'll, maybe I'll knock myself out of the slump. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about Georgia Kaufman and Stuck with a Date. Um, let me see. Well, I've got this all up here. So she has a book that's live right now that's called Stuck with a Movie Star. She is also giving away a signed paperback of that this week. So make sure you enter to win Stuck with a Movie Star. This book that you're listening to, um, that you're about to listen to, Stuck with a Date is also available in ebook if you want it. And she added um, extra, she said she added two extra chapters and a bonus epilogue. So I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I said nice. I like oh, okay. that when they add yeah. extra content. I know. I thought that was really cool. So if you if you're listening to this and you like what you're listening to, go get the ebook and you can get even more of this couple. But it's so, nice that it's part of a series because this book it's got other books in the series, so you're going to get a taste of it. Absolutely, and this book is also 99 cents and in Kindle Unlimited too. So all just of to her mention books are. Yes. So in the new book that she has out that goes with this is Stuck with a Movie Star. That's that's out now too. And that's in KU. Tell you about Georgia Kaufman is a romance author with a master's in professional writing, which is just I didn't know that was a thing. That's crazy. I didn't either. I just said it. <laughs> yeah. She loves books, the TV show Friends and online shopping. When she's not reading, writing or daydream, she and her husband enjoy working out, traveling and playing with their two pups. Georgia loves to connect on social media or through email. Feel free to reach out with any questions. Your favorite book recommendations are even a funny joke. (laughs) And I'll read you the book bio for Stuck With A Date, which you're about to hear. It's all fun and games until my ex-girlfriend wins a date with me. I only agreed to do the bachelor auction because it's for a good cause, but I never signed up to go out with a woman who up and ran out on me, taking our dog and my heart with her. 
At first, I refuse. I don't trust her or myself because the moment I lay eyes on Micah again, I'm too easily reminded of how good we were together. Our chemistry is still undeniable, and Micah has a few surprises up the sleeve of her fitted shirt. She's persistent, gorgeous, and confident, too, with which is all da- a dangerous combination. After all, I'm only human, and the temptation is too much to ignore as we share unexpected laughs over drinks in the show. If I'm not careful, I might end up with more than just a fun night out with an entertaining woman. I may even give her my heart again. I love it. I know it sounds so sweet. We'll send them into it. All right. We'll see you guys on the other side. Alpha's Fire, a dragon shifter romance by Renee Rose. I've waited 1,000 years for my mate. If she rejects me, I'll burn down the world. She woke the dragon. Every maiden dreams of being rescued by a handsome prince from a deadly dragon. But I'm the prince and the dragon. Ancient courtship rituals demand I steal my bride away, imprison her in my high tower, show her my treasures, my vast lands, and armies. I've done all that, and she still refuses me. She says she can't see herself with a man who still thinks Istanbul is Constantinople. I must woo her, and I don't know how. But beneath my beating human heart, a dragon sleeps. And when he wakes, no one can stop him from destroying the world. No one but her. That's Alpha's Fire, a dragon shifter romance by Renee Rose. Go grab it now. Chapter 1 Harvey Tell me again why I let you talk me into this. I stare wide-eyed at Bree, although I don't actually see her. I'm too distracted by the sliver of light shining through a gap in the curtain. That thin black material is the only thing separating me from humiliation. Beyond that piece of seemingly innocent fabric awaits a big stage, which faces over a hundred people who will be bidding on me. For a date with me, anyway. I'm a bartender at a Mexican restaurant far from Manhattan, and this fancy-ass hotel screams money. This is the kind of place that hosts things like million-dollar weddings or extravagant parties for the cast of The Real Housewives of New York City. In other words, I definitely don't belong here, even if the name of this auction is Everyday Bachelors. I must have bumped my fucking head before I agreed to this. Bree squares her shoulders, straightening into the confidence she wears like the bold lipstick staining her lips. You're here to raise money for charity, and also because you know karma is a bitch, one whose bad side you do not want to be on. What if I'm already on her bad side? I quirk my eyebrow. Sighing, she undoes the top button of my forest green flannel shirt, revealing the top of my white tee underneath, and says, then you and I have a lot of work to do. I chuckle and take a deep breath. Why are you so nervous? She crosses her arms. This can't be any different than all the women ogling you at the restaurant. But there, I have a four-foot bar between us and several alcohol choices to distract them with. I throw back. It's nothing like standing on stage to literally be auctioned off like meat. You don't let the bar stop you from coming to our table, she challenges in a sing-song voice. You and your friends aren't handsy, I point out. If only you were a few years older, we'd be having a different discussion. 
She gives me a once-over, her smile appreciative. And a different relationship, too. I smirk. But before I can say anything about her only being 32 to my 26, the next name is called out. Darius tugs his fireman's jacket over his navy blue shirt and suspenders, then shrugs back at me as if to say, here goes nothing. The moment he steps on stage, there are whoops and hollers like this is a naked heat mail review show instead of a charity event. Bree hums as she stares after him. I should be out there bidding on him myself. Why? Because he's a literal hero, putting out fires and saving lives? How unattractive. My voice is full of sarcasm. But you save lives, too. She pats my arm. Every Thursday, you save me from a lonely night at home, with only my celebrity gossip to keep me company, which Tessa thinks is unhealthy. So, we both owe you big. I shake my head as Bree moves down the line of beefcakes, her word, giving them compliments on their smiles, biceps, and occupations. Once Bree returns, she nudges my shoulder. Don't be nervous. You already have an admirer. She asked me about you earlier. Who? She didn't give me her name, but she's very cute. And your age. She wiggles her eyebrows. Right, because those are the only two things I need for a perfect match. I rack my brain. I told zero people about this event since there's no need to further embarrass myself, although the advertising for the auction has been extensive. It could be anybody. As long as she's not dressed in bright mixing patterns like one of those mall psychics, I'm good, I joke inwardly recalling Mrs. Quackenbush, one of my foster moms who lived up to her name. She was kooky and often confused sour cream for mayonnaise. Her heart was pure, though, and she took in orphans like she did stray cats. Although her home holds the most pleasant memories of my time in foster care, I don't want to go on a date with Mrs. Quackenbush. Bree taps her chin. No, but I definitely need to know the rest of that story sometime. A tall man in a suit more expensive than my entire year's income comes to a stop next to us. It's Carter Fields. I've never seen him in person before this moment, and I can now officially report back to one of my fun regulars that he is, in fact, as tan and handsome as he is on TV and in magazines. He gives Bree a one-armed hug. Thank you for volunteering tonight. Tessa wishes she could have been here too, but she's been sick all day. I heard. Glad to fill in. Bree points to me. By the way, this is Harvey Jacobs, our last-minute auction item. She winks as she references me like I'm a pie or a quilt. Right now, I'd honestly rather be either one of those. Whether it's for charity or not which is the only reason I agreed to do this, and not because Bree can get any man to do anything she wants simply by batting her lashes. This whole thing is humiliating. Especially since I'm up after a damn fireman. The only heroic thing I've ever done is throw a rag over a small flame that flared up from the bar when a flaming zombie drink went rogue last Halloween. Carter shakes my hand. 
Hey, man, thanks for doing this. If you hadn't agreed, I would have had to ask my head of security detail. And let's face it, the man doesn't know the meaning of small talk, let alone how to go on an innocent date. I laugh as he inadvertently settles my nerves. They're not just from tonight, but also from the fact that I hit on Carter's now fiance, Tessa. It was before she'd met him, though. I'm going to assume he has no idea, or that he's secure enough in his relationship and confidence. Either way, what a fucking relief. When my name is called, Bree playfully smacks my ass, and I turn to find she's holding two thumbs up. Three steps, and I'm in the spotlight, feeling like I did at my middle school spelling bee contest, which is the last memory I have of my mother at a school event. But no familiar faces are here to ease my nerves, since Bree stays in the back, still keeping the other guys in line with more strokes down their arms than necessary. The thought of her relentless charm makes me smile, but it quickly wears off. I'm sweating. Small beads of water run down the back of my neck, and if anyone looks closely enough, they'll see the droplets through my buzzed hair like dew on short grass in the morning. It doesn't help that the lights are beaming down on me. They're hot as the summer sun. Blood rushes to my ears as I wave and plaster the smile onto my face that I use on customers when I'm having an off night. As a bartender... I'm partly the patron's entertainer, so there's no room for crappy moods. Except, the more I fake my smile, the more real it becomes. Plus, this is for charity. For my friend Bree. For the kids. People are cheering. Why not have a little fun with it? So when the MC tells the crowd I'm not a bad dancer... I shove both my sleeves up my tattooed forearms and spin in place, moving my hips from side to side as proof. This gets an even bigger rise out of many women, and too many hands to count fly into the air like this is a concert. I think they like what they see, the MC teases, then continues with the bidding. Slowly, fewer and fewer hands hang in the air, until the woman in the back is the last one standing. Yes, standing. She's no longer sitting like the rest of the guests, and she's spent more money on a date with me than I thought possible. With the lights and distance between us, I can't fully make out her face. I'm antsy by the time the music fades, and my legs wobble down the steps worse than if I'd just run up twenty flights of stairs. But as I approach the woman waiting for me in the back of the room, her arms crossed and full face in view, I stop dead in my tracks. Her short blonde hair is parted down the middle and tucked behind both ears, revealing her defined cheekbones. Above her pink-stained lips is a mole the size of a freckle. She always hated it, but I liked it. The amused way she narrows her eyes takes me back to six years ago. It was the last time I saw her. The clashing sounds of the room are muffled. The music from the speakers, the hushed conversations, the empty flutes clinking as servers replace them with full ones. It 
all disappears as blood rushes to my ears for an entirely different reason than when I was on stage. The siren from my past stares me down, raising one eyebrow as if she's waiting for me to say something or get down on one knee and thank her for coming back. I won't be doing the latter. No amount of time, money, or fucking holy water can exercise the rage inside me from when she walked away. I don't care if the last few years have been good to her, that there's a new glow in her cheeks, or that her breasts have grown into their own. They're pushed up in the most perfect two curves I've ever seen. But that's the only part of her petite body I can see. The rest of her is covered in a wool peacoat, teasing me. What the hell is underneath? My imagination runs wild with possibilities, and I'd bet my left kidney that was her intention. She was always the queen at making me squirm. But it won't work. Not this time. Because I don't care about any of that. I don't. Leaving the high-pitched laughs and joy of the event behind me, I brush past her and make a beeline to the hotel bar for a stiff drink. Even talking to the gold carpet would be better than another minute with Micah. I don't care what this auction is for. I most definitely will not be going on a fucking date with my ex-girlfriend. Chapter 2 Micah Spending half my savings on winning a date with my ex-boyfriend was totally worth witnessing the shock on his face. Besides, I've never had much to begin with, so it's not something I lose sleep over. Money is as fragile as a leaf, or our old foster brother's will to turn down a Twinkie. I check the belt around my coat to ensure it's still tightly fastened, like I'm on a plane, grab my clutch from my spot at the table and nod to the other guests, then make my departure. Slipping through the double doors, I turn to my left, certain I'll find Harvey at the bar, and after a few brisk steps, I glimpse his back. My heart rate picks up again like it did when he approached me. His eyes were ablaze, and his jaw ticked like a man on the brink of exploding. The veins in his forearms were thick and more prominent than the tattoos covering them. Even they were angry at me. Harvey's pissed, and not just barely upset like the time I accidentally shrunk his favorite t-shirt, but irate like the time I adopted a dog to keep at our Jersey City apartment without running it by him first. But I can work with anger. After all, it's much better than indifference. I sidle up next to him at the wooden bar, but don't sit. God, being this close to him again, even being nearly burned by his obvious fury, has my libido in knots. After he swallows a gulp, Harvey sets his drink down with more force than seems necessary. What are you even doing in New York? He clips like I trespassed onto his private property. Shouldn't you be parading around Argentina or New Zealand or wherever the hell you ran off to? Sighing, I dip my head, shifting from one heel to the other. Instead of telling him exactly where I've been, 
I settle on telling him where I am now. Because the present is all that really matters, right? I live here. He stares at me blankly. And you couldn't have just called instead of going through all this? Come on now, I tisk, resting an elbow on the bar. There's no fun in a simple phone call. His lips form a tight line, obviously not amused by my charm like my customers on the cruise ship used to be. Time to pull out the big guns. I wore your favorite pattern. Or should I say, patterns? This outfit is my secret weapon, an icebreaker of sorts, which makes me feel like I'm at a cheesy fucking freshman mixer. But I knew this wouldn't be easy. Good thing I learned long ago to never back down from a challenge. I undo the belt at my waist, pulling it open at a tantalizing pace to make his eyes bulge out the way they used to when I'd emerged from the bathroom wearing nothing. He used to love how free I was with my body, and the thought alone sends a thrilling rush through my nervous system. Once I open my coat, I reveal a low-cut leopard top that's a size too small, the sleeves of which cut into my armpits. It's also multicolored, moving from red to yellow to green like a spotted rainbow. The leather skirt is the icing on this disastrous cake. It's bright orange with a strip of zebra print down the side. It's the kind of clothing that never should have existed to begin with, but somehow ended up at the thrift store I visited to put this outfit together. Never would I have worn this out in public, but I just couldn't help doing so for Harvey. Just like Mrs. Quackenbush, huh? I drop the sleeves of my coat to rest in the crooks of my elbows and spin for him to get an eyeful. I know you had the biggest crush on her. His posture relaxes against the bar, giving me a small win. I saw her topless once on accident when I was a hormonal 15-year-old. Given she was the first naked woman I'd ever seen, I unconsciously had a wet dream about it, but I did not have a crush on her. Oh, right. I hold my finger up my black nail polish glistening under the dimly lit bulbs above us. She is just the reason you're such a boob man. Yes, because old and saggy breasts will do that to a guy, he says sarcastically, his glass halfway to his curled lips. I knew it. I take a seat next to him and order a martini with extra olives. Harvey angles himself toward me, his shoulders much less tense than before. I was a horny teenager and was even turned on by a cartoon. A cartoon? You know, the little mermaid? He laughs, although it's not the boisterous one I remember. Baby steps. Anytime Allie would turn it on, I'd have to leave the room to avoid embarrassing myself in front of a six-year-old. I throw my head back and laugh as thoughts of one of our foster sisters warm my heart. See, Ariel's seashell bra turned you on, and I've proven my point. I lift a shoulder in smug victory. He rubs one hand down his face, and I openly study his features. He's definitely changed. His hair is different, styled with longer strands on top that are pushed back. 
Instead of clean and untouched arms, ink curves and curls down them like vines on the side of a wall, purposeful, even in their chaos. His jaw has only gotten sharper and more chiseled than I remember, too. If he were in a band, women would sell their souls to breathe the same air as him, but even as a bartender, I imagine his female patrons give him the same attention, much to my delight. And the more I watch him, the more my mind wanders. What does he do in his spare time? Is his favorite food still chicken parmesan? Is he seeing anyone? The last question hits me square in the chest and bothers me more than I care to admit. I mean, he is the reason I'm here tonight, but I'm not one to beg or moonlight as a homewrecker. I take a sip of my martini and lick my lips, thankful for the bartender's heavy hand when pouring the gin. Now, how about that date? He visibly stiffens. And just like that, gone is the Harvey I even remotely used to know. No, he says, like I asked him for his motorcycle, assuming he still has his most prized possession. I won it fair and square, so you're stuck with a date with me. My tone comes out harsher than I intended, but it's hard to keep it even when he's making my blood rise. I volunteered to do this auction for charity. Nowhere did I sign up to take the DeLorean back to the past. With one final gulp, he finishes his drink. I practically bite my tongue to keep curse words from exploding out of my mouth. It's also keeping me from shoving it down his throat to shut his stubborn ass up and tasting the whiskey on his breath. But never mind that. I swipe at the beads of sweat gathering on my forehead, then say, I signed a binding document when I paid for this date. I hold his stare, daring him to call my bluff. And when he eases into his seat again, I think I've won. Until he shoves a bowl of peanuts in front of me and says, Here's our dinner, then. My eye twitches. Or are you still allergic, like you told Mrs. Quackenbush, just so she'd have to give you something other than a peanut butter sandwich? Not all of us were obsessed with those like some people. I glare at him. Those people were considerate of the fact that she didn't have much else to offer in terms of meals. That makes me flinch. It's no excuse, but I was an angry teen, given my parents abandoned me when I was seven because they'd rather nurse their drug addictions than raise their own kid. So I thought the world, including Mrs. Quackenbush, owed me something better than a peanut butter sandwich. I was so ungrateful toward her, much to my regret. I paid for it when she caught me eating a bag of trail mix I'd snatched from a kid at school, so... I generously sip from my martini to shove down my guilt. Harvey slaps a few bills on the wooden counter with finality and stands. Sure, but that didn't stop you. You always got what you wanted, no matter what. But this date won't be one of them. He nods to the bartender with a lot less hostility than he's shown me, and I sense it's because of the camaraderie in their shared profession.
but his soft side toward her only angers me further. Silently, he slides past me with hurried steps. Grinding my teeth, I take out my card to pay for my drink, but the bartender shakes her head and nods toward the seat where Harvey was just sitting. Already taken care of. That motherfucker. How dare he? His hot and cold, thoughtful and dickish behavior only pisses me off. And if it's an intentional game he's playing to mess with my head, it's not going to work. I came back to New York to settle down after years at sea on the cruise ship, and I'll do it with or without him. I whip my coat from the chair and quickly cover the outrageous outfit I'm wearing. But instead of slipping right on, my arm gets caught inside where I thought the sleeve opening was. I'm too flustered to even put my jacket on correctly, and for that, I blame Harvey too. With a huff and newfound vengeance, I ball the stupid thing up and race after him through the posh lobby. I look like a lunatic rushing across the shiny marble floor in what I'm sure the hotel guests assume is Halloween attire. But I don't give a shit. Once I emerge onto the sidewalk, I scan the crowd and quickly spot Harvey. Turns out, he's kept the motorcycle, and knowing that makes my chest squeeze. When he licks his bottom lip and gracefully throws a muscled leg over the seat like he's straddling a woman, my core quivers. On trembling legs, I make my way to the street and hail a taxi the rumble of Harvey's bike revving more than just the machine's engine. Inside the cab, I squirm in my seat and point out my window at a stationary Harvey, who looks left and right for his opening to leave the hotel, and me behind. I'll pay double whatever the meter says if you follow that motorcycle, I offer. Given the amount of money I just paid for a date with Harvey... A little extra to strangle him would be my pleasure. I lean back, my body a shaking mess of rage and raging hormones, especially when we pull onto the road behind Harvey. His jacket rises with the wind along with the bottom of his shirt. Even the exposed sliver of tan skin above his waistband drives me wild. As we turn onto a narrow street, my gaze travels to the saddle he's gripping between those strong thighs. I specifically fixate on the pillion. It used to be my spot. I was with him when he bought that bike, and we spent that night riding around the city together, me clutching his waist as tightly as I could. I always wanted to ride through life with him like that, untamed and untethered to anything but each other until I accepted the truth. Chapter 3 Harvey You followed me here? What the fuck? I blink at Micah, her figure blurring as she sidesteps me and stomps into my apartment like I owe her an apology or some shit. But she's the one who owes me that much, and more starting with an explanation as to why the hell she ran out on me all those years ago. I shut the door, and my shoebox apartment feels even smaller with her in it. Yes, I followed you, 
she hisses, tossing her jacket onto my bed, then spinning to face me. We weren't finished. You don't get to throw shit in my face from back then and walk away. So you came here to prove a point? That I'm wrong and you're always right? To prove you're an asshole who doesn't know shit about me anymore. And whose fucking fault is that? I snap. Her bottom lip juts out, a small tremble in it. I've hit a nerve. I've pushed a lot of her buttons tonight, like I'm playing a damn video game, and I just can't seem to stop. Not when she's gone through the trouble of finding, and winning, me at the auction, which was as much her scene as it was mine. And then she followed me to my home. She's gone through a lot of trouble, indeed, and as much as I want to forgive and forget, I can't let her give me false fucking hope. But the small part of me, the stupid optimist in me, holds on to that dose of hope. I shove my hands into my pockets, not because I'm calm and collected, but because I want to reach out and twist the hair into my fingers like I used to. I want to tug it back, then cover her lips with mine in a punishing kiss that she'd feel for days. My hands are shaking like a fault line on the brink of an earthquake. And the longer she's in here, the closer I come to cracking. She's in my fucking space, my bed two feet from the backs of her knees. All it would take is a signal from her and one small push backward for us to get tangled in my sheets. I'm not the same person I was, she claims. The one who stole my dog, you mean. Her eyes grow wide. Your dog? You didn't even want Skye. I thought you were going to have an aneurysm when I brought her home. When she says the last word, I take a step back like she shoved me. She grew on me, I grind out. You and your stubborn ass. She hangs her head, and her shoulders shake as she releases a low laugh, causing a shift in the tectonic plates between us. The sound hits me right where I don't want it to, my fucking chest. To make matters worse, her floral aroma is magnetic and wraps itself around my hardening dick. Her blonde strands are still straight, but whisked backward, probably from the wind outside, and she's not as put together as she was at the hotel. She's unraveled now, and joy to me, that makes two of us. Sky is happy and healthy, by the way. I exhale, relieved to hear that but pissed at the same time, too, because now I'm picturing Skye curled up on Micah's lap while she watches TV. It's so innocent and perfect, but I refuse to fall for it. I run both hands through my hair as the strain in my pants grows uncomfortable. Why now? I whisper. Why did you come back now? She toys with her fingers, and twists the small golden band around her thumb. I missed you? You don't get to miss me, I quip, but my tone isn't as firm or believable as I'd wanted. And still, I do, 
she challenges. After all, it's what she does best. Just like you still love me, even though you hate me. She's always been able to see right through me, too. How do you know I'm not seeing anyone else? It has been six years, after all. My gaze on her doesn't waver as I take a step toward her, falling into this game of seduction as the air around us fills with tension. She licks her lips, her eyes glued to mine as well. You would have kicked me out already if you were. The faintest muscle at the edge of my eye bounces, drawing her attention. She's a master at pushing me to balance the line between control and chaos. I've never been much into spanking, but the thought of bending her over the edge of my bed slams into me. I picture her ass peeking out from beneath that short fucking skirt of hers and a thong tucked between her soft cheeks where I'd want my nose to be while I tasted her. I grow lightheaded as I imagine leaving a soft pink handprint on one of those perfect cheeks for being so infuriatingly mica. And what makes you so sure I feel anything for you other than hate? I rasp. She closes the distance between us and presses herself against me, her heat sending me into a frenzy. Cupping the back of my head, she whispers, this. She moves her hand down, grazing the tips of her fingers along my smooth cheek, then flattening her palms against my chest. This. Lastly, she moves her hand down and over my belt buckle until she cups the bulge in my pants. And this. Growling, I bend my knees into a squatting position, wrap my arms just under the curve of her ass, and hoist her up, spinning us so that her back is against the door, the same one she barged into earlier like she did my heart, even though I swore I'd never let her in again. But right now, none of that matters. When I peer down between us, her skirt is hiked up and bunched around her slim waist, thong I was imagining the only thing keeping me from seeing her sweet pussy. I'd bet my left arm she's soaked for me, and that's enough for now. As I press my hard body against hers, I inhale more of her floral scent. Micah's here in my arms, her lips parted and waiting for me to ravish her. But I won't. Not yet. I roll my hips forward, teasing and grinding my heart on against that spot between her legs, and her lips fall farther open like I'm already inside her. Is this what you want? I ask hoarsely against the column of her throat. Is this what you've missed? She nods into my shoulder, a soft whimper escaping her pink lips when I grind into her a second time. Yes she whispers, her cool breath stinging my hot skin. Yes, she repeats, testing my resolve. I want to hear you beg for it. I run my nose along the slope of her ear and squeeze her ass cheeks with both hands, bringing the tips of my fingers dangerously close to her warm center. I want you to beg for me.
God, please, she sputters. Please, Harvey. Using one hand to hold her up, I caress her shoulder with the other and slide the sleeve of her shirt down along with her bra strap. I deepen my voice when I say, Not good enough. She swallows, the sound echoing in my ear and giving me a special kind of pleasure. I thrust again, only this time I stay close, rubbing my jean-covered cock against her center to encourage her. She moans my name, and my resolve further crumbles like a piece of paper. I want you, Harvey. It's always been you. So please, please. I hang on to each plea as her voice trails off. Micah's begging for me. She never begs for anything or anyone. Just the opposite. She's the kind of woman men bow down to, and it's not just because of her looks. It's her unyielding confidence that demands anything she wants without even voicing it. But with me, she pleads because she needs me that badly, and a rush of adrenaline I can't explain surges through me. I grin against her bare shoulder, and my teeth graze her skin, delicious fucking anticipation building between us. The second I lift my head, she grips both my cheeks in her small hands and plants a fierce kiss to my lips, taking what she wants, and I give it back. Our tongues immediately reunite, tangling with each other like a dance, speaking to one another through the swipes and sucks and nips at our lips. Her grip on my face tightens the longer we kiss, as do my hands on her ass, fisting as much flesh as I can grab onto. We kiss until the city outside my small window disappears, the honks and shouts becoming nothing but static noise. Our mouths are fused until we can't breathe anymore. Wow, she pants against my lips, her chest rising and falling at a rapid pace. A date, I manage through my clouded thoughts as I set her down. What? Micah blinks up at me, her lips swollen after a proper several minutes of foreplay. But that's where it ends tonight. No matter how badly I want to put us both out of our misery, I refrain. We're not hopping into bed together simply because there's a mattress right behind me, although my dick is cursing me to a place worse than hell, like Hobby Lobby or Ikea. I clear my throat to assert what I want. We're not having sex tonight, Micah. If we're going to start fresh, we can't pick up where we left off. We can't just start fucking, because that's all this will be. Understanding dawns in her shining eyes, and I'm surprised when she doesn't argue. Maybe people do change after all. With heavy steps, I put distance between us and swipe at the corners of my mouth, her taste still there like a smooth and addictive whiskey. How badly I want to fucking taste her again, and not just her lips. Micah shimmies her skirt back over the taunting material covering the spot between her legs, and I grind my teeth like I'm trying to chew through concrete. Once she's dressed, 
She reaches out and wraps her fingers around my forearm, covering the black stars inked on my skin. You really want to date? Yes, I say firmly, so there's no confusion. Then relax, a hint of a smile playing on my lips. I am legally stuck with a date with you, after all. Such an asshole. As you've said once or twice this evening, I wink. She lets go of my arm, and I immediately miss it. Give me your phone. I pull it out of my back pocket, unlock it, and hand it over. Her fingers tap away, the quick clinking of her nails against the screen a song of its own. Here. She hands my phone back to me. I put my number in your contacts between Linda and Nina, whom I'm going to assume are cartoon twins you made up. I chuckle as I go to my contacts to delete them. Consider them already gone. Micah wraps her arms around my neck and gives me one last steaming kiss, one of possession and passion. See you tomorrow night at seven. I shake my head out of this lust-filled fog and study her steadfast expression. You already planned our date? She releases me and backs away in slow motion, her eyes full of mischief. I'll text you my address so you can pick me up. And I'll get Shonda to cover my shift. It'll take some serious groveling, but I think I can do it. I'll definitely make it worth it. Micah bends down for her jacket, flashing enough flesh for me to note the pink fingerprints I left there. I'll be up all night thinking about them. And her. And what she means by make it worth it. Fucking hell. And just so you know, she faces me again, her jacket bald in her hands. It never was, nor will it ever be, just fucking when it comes to you and me. The wind is knocked out of me, rendering me speechless. After a lingering kiss to my cheek, she's gone, and it's embarrassing, a bit impressive, too, how quickly I rush to the bathroom for a cold, damn shower. Welcome back. Hey. So, once again, make sure you grab Stuck with a Movie Star that is out today. Also, grab this an ebook if you want to continue listening to Stuck with a Date. And make sure you enter this week's giveaway for a signed paperback of Stuck with a Movie Star. All right. I asked Tom what to do. Fuck your day up. Make today your bitch. Don't be a dick. Bye, guys. Bye. Read me romance. Read, read me romance. Read me romance. Read, read me romance. You could take a look in a book that's fine, or you could sit back, relax, and unwind and read me romance. Read, read me romance.